Hey everyone, welcome to Locked On Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Is Russell Westbrook really a shoe-in for sixth man of the year? That's next. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked on Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcasts. It's always free. It's never behind a paywall. And Locked on Lakers on YouTube, zooming towards 10,000 subscribers is where you can go to uh, participate uh, in the show, leave comments there, talk to us, talk to each other. Great community of Lakers fans that is being built up over there. Um, plus, you get to watch us uh, do the show. That's always fun. Uh, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered with this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And Andy, in what can only be described as a super convenient seg, uh, the folks over at Bet Online sent us some updated odds on all the uh, the NBA awards as we're really we're almost basically halfway through the year um, and uh, really interesting stuff about the Lakers in there and more specifically uh, that the Lakers really aren't in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, other than Russell Westbrook who we'll get into separately there's currently no other Laker on the board right now, whether you're talking about for MVP voting, where LeBron, I don't think, has been somebody getting odds since maybe the first or second week of the season. Uh, Anthony Davis had recently put himself on there during that surge before he got hurt. He had also been getting some Defensive Player of the Year odds, and again, since getting hurt, is now off the board. Well, it's what's funny about us, and we'll 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 do the West. But why don't we start with Russ because. If you look at it, Westbrook is eight to five, I believe it is, um, yes. for um, six man of the year. And you look at it, and you know that's pretty good. I mean, it's hard; those are those are strong odds from a betting standpoint. Um, and although he has trended down, though a little he bit, was he was three to two at the beginning of month. December. Yep, um, but he was 25, 25 to one. At the beginning of November. So overall, still moving in the right direction if you're Russell Westbrook. And it's just, it's so funny to me because he is still, you know, kind of a polarizing figure in terms of people assessing, you know, can you trade him? Do you not want to trade him? What's his value? What, you know, and all, and all of that. And I do think sometimes the story of his dominance, so to speak, or his, you know, seamless fit as a sixth man or the consistent excellence of his play has been a little bit overblown. But at the same time, it's not like there are a ton of other candidates out there that you look at and say, oh, that's got to be that guy. It's a weird year for sixth man of the year. Jordan Poole um, is behind Westbrook at 13 to four. Um, he's been all over the place and the Warriors haven't been all that great. Malcolm Brogdon is uh, third, hardly a household name. Norman Powell, fourth. Um, Benedict Matherin, Christian Wood, Malik Monk, um, all guys who pop in. So, you know, as well as anybody, Andy, a lot of the times these things are dictated by storyline as much as anything. 
And Russell Westbrook clearly has the most compelling story of anybody that's on the board for six man of the year. But I don't think it's real in terms of him actually winning the award unless the Lakers get to at least 500. You really think so? You think he's going to, you don't, you don't think with the, the odds he's got right now, you know, a heavy betting favorite, you don't think that lasts? Nope. Um, and I said this as somebody, remember when we did the our preseason bold predictions, I predicted that Russ would finish top five in six man of the year voting in very large part because of narrative like him taking this role, writers and voters, they love stories, they love when athletes exhibit humility, humble themselves. That's something a lot of voters just really get off on. Um, but you also need to be winning. I don't think the story works if you're winning in part because... Russell Westbrook is not a popular player among the NBA media community. He's not an analytics-friendly player. He's insanely inefficient at a time when efficiency is highly valued. His and that, by the way, hasn't changed really as a sixth man. Nope. He's not like he's no. shooting 70% from the field. He's shooting 40% no. from the floor. Um, his MVP season, in retrospect, I, I've heard a lot of NBA media talk about how in retrospect, they feel like voters took the triple double bait and like fell for the shiny thing. And, you know, triple doubles themselves have become more poo pooed, um, particularly when Russ is the one accumulating them. Um, when Russ and, is the one doing the pooing. Yes. And <laughs> it's also, too, he is still seen as the guy that is dragging down the Lakers by virtue of being on this team as opposed to either. KCP and Kyle Kuzma or somebody else that would have made more sense to trade for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also too, he's been an a-hole to the media and that shouldn't matter. I want to make clear. I think a lot of this stuff shouldn't matter. Should just vote on merits, but he's been an a-hole to the media. That stuff will matter. He was an a-hole to the media the year that he won. But remember that was also after Kevin Durant left. And he was the guy dealing with all the backlash when he went to Golden State. And Russ was considered kind of an underdog during that season. And I think was as sympathetic as he's ever been in the NBA. But also, too, mm -hmm. just historically, Brian, I, I did some research. And to the best of what I could find, the only time a guy has won six man of the year on a team with a losing record you got to go back to the 91-92 season. Detlef Shrimp with the Pacers. And he was, at the time, the reigning sixth man of the year. And he had 17-10-4 on 53% shooting, almost 33 minutes per game. And he came within screaming distance of third-team All-NBA that year. Yeah, I mean, it's it, but I, I, I look at the list. I mean, part of this is... Who else is out there? And again, I, I I agree with you. I think narrative and all these other things and whether or not people like Russ, none of that should matter. I just look at this and you know, in terms of winning and losing, um, you know, the Warriors are are you know go into to Wednesday's games two games over five hundred. They're playing a little bit uh, over five hundred, I should say. They're starting to play better, and I think by the end of the year, we'll have a a you know solid winning record. Um, but they've been kind of disappointing broadly and pool's play has been again kind of all over the place and you know certainly warriors fans are frustrated by him all the time he did get punched in the face though so that'll give him some sympathy that is true um and 
you know, Brogdon has been very good. Uh, there's no question. But then you start getting to the guys like Norman Powell. Um, Clippers are kind of surging, though. They are, but, you know, I, he's not like, you know, Matherin on Indiana, Christian Wood on an improving Mavericks team. And there are people out there, Malik Monk um, on, you know, on, a, on an obviously improving Sacramento team. He's the beam king, Brian. I just think it's, I, 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 I think this, this will be a test of story as much as anything. Because I'm not going to lie and sit here and that I've dug deep into the stats, the, you know, the relative merits of every single person for the six man of the year award before game 40. I'm just, that's not something I'm going to spend a lot of time doing. But, you know, the, the storyline and the assumption that Russell Westbrook is going to be sixth man of the year, that is a talking point that is, is starting, I think, to really take hold. Um, and it will be, it'll be interesting to see if he, let's say he keeps up his basic level of play and the Lakers kind of keep doing what they're doing um, throughout the rest of the year, uh, you know, sort of keeping on the fringes of things, but not necessarily pushing past that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Westbrook has peaked too early in terms of uh, the story. And then we media folks get bored with it and move on to the next guy because uh, well, that happens a lot too. I do want to ask you before we get to an interesting, uh, potentially an interesting story written by our friend Darius Soriano over at Silver Screen and Roll and some work that you've done looking for sneaky trade candidates that might not cost the Lakers very much. Um, I, I'm interested to see if if you think LeBron has any chance at all at pushing himself back into the MVP conversation just because of what he has been doing over the last uh, week or two. So we'll talk about that next. Lockdown Lakers brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there from football to basketball, bowl season, esports. They got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which clearly you do because you are listening to, I'd say, the most outstanding basketball podcast that exists on this or any other planet, you can find sports podcasts damn near as good as that one on Bet Online as well. Like they just they've got content over at Bet Online, and it's always the fastest, easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today, or use your mobile device, learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Um, so uh, Charlotte Hornets swingman Kelly Oubre uh, will be out for the next four to six weeks. That is relevant to the Lakers because he has been one of those names that's been kind of uh, attached to the Lakers as a potential trade target, um, somebody maybe that they could obtain without having to give up a ton of stuff. So uh, I know you've been digging around to see, uh, look for Oubre replacements, not in handsomeness because that can't be done. No, um, he's dreaming. He is. I mean, there's no so one else but all – Oh, they just, just suck you right in. Pools of of mm -hmm. of of attraction, um, and so we'll get to that in a second. Of other names that the Lakers might be able to to look at, because I know you've been digging around a little bit. What 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 is there out there where the Lakers might be able to make a sneaky, you know, a sneaky effective um, trade, uh, something that could improve them without really giving up the big pieces that Rob Palenka very clearly wants to hold on to. Um, but yeah, so but, but back to LeBron for a second. Do you real quick, any just, way... real quick before we even get to LeBron? I, I, you had mentioned the thin names for six man of the year and the narratives, uh -huh. but 
I would keep an eye on Benedict Matherin because he's having an amazing year off the bench for the Pacers. And if the Pacers finish above 500, Matherin could be the guy that you end up giving some type of recognition to because he's not going to win rookie of the year. That's going to be Paulo Bancaro with the Magic. So voters end up finding a way to recognize what Matherin's done this year. It's kind of like the way Quentin Tarantino never wins best director, but he's won two screenplays for Oscar. Like that's how he gets recognized. I could see Matherin getting recognized that way. So just- see, I my my I, I think Matherin's tailing off a little bit in terms of his, you know, if you if you'd done this, you know, two weeks into the season, three weeks into the season, um, you know, I, I think his his numbers were stronger. I actually think if if people are looking for that kind of thing where you're trying to recognize a player for his contributions, for general accomplishment in the league and all that other stuff, I would look out for Brogdon. Um, if, yeah. the, if the Celtics continue to play the way that they are, um, best sixth man on the best team uh, to kind of oh. go to the to the uh, to yeah. the you know best player on the best team formula for MVP. So I yep. think that would give him an advantage. That's where I would put my money. If oh, it's, it's, it is where I if would it's put not my money. Westbrook, um, but um, that's that that's just my thought because it's it's both a he's a pretty good story in addition to. Um, obviously playing very well for a very good team. Although, and like and you say, also Jordan too, Poole like, got punched in the face. So there's yeah, like that. Russ. Uh, he also too had to accept the idea of coming off the bench, Brogdon. So he's got yeah, that story sure. too in his own right. Um, do you? Uh, is there any way that that LeBron can work himself back in? Just because the, you know, if you look at his numbers over the last, you know. 10 games, 12 games, all that stuff. I mean, he is insane, the numbers he's putting up. It's not just good for 38 years old. It's like good for anybody in terms of the, you know, Elias Sports Bureau figuring out that nobody has ever averaged 35, 7, and 7 with six blocks on over 50. He's averaging almost 60% shooting in his last 10 games. Um, the numbers are are huge and for the season now Andy he's over he's at 51% for the season he's averaging 29 points a game eight rebounds six and a half assists um the lakers are obviously aren't playing well but you can hardly blame that on him and in unless the lakers start winning i just don't think voters will do it uh, i did not do the research on this but i believe the last time a player won mvp on a team with a losing record was Kareem it's, in seventy-seven. Almost, almost positive, you're right. But I, and so I, 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 sh- I should have, I should have phrased this differently. How good do you think the Lakers have to finish for him to have a chance? Well, let's assume he plays like this, plays eighty percent of the games for the rest of the year, ninety percent of the games, whatever it is for the rest of the year, and performs at basically this level. How many games do the Lakers have to win before LeBron can be part of that conversation? Because that's, I think, like it, you said, that's that's the more relevant conversation. Okay, as we're recording this, the Lakers are the 12 seed right now, and they are two games outside of the play-in and three and a half games – or four games, excuse me, outside of the sixth seed. I think if they can manage from here to get themselves anywhere from seven, six, maybe eight, depending on the discrepancy between six and eight, then – I think there's a really good chance LeBron will start to get some heat for this 
mm-hmm. particularly depending on how long AD is out. Because if AD doesn't start playing until last week of January, early February, that means you know, maybe even longer. That likely means this is all being done by LeBron. Right. So if he can manage to feel that type of winning at this age, the story, I think, at that point starts to become irresistible. To well, plus, a I mean, lot and, of and like you say, yeah, and like you say, sorry, like the um, it, it is a it is no disrespect to the rest of the roster, but I think we all recognize this is a limited group. Um, you know, no, Westbrook. Nobody would be even, doing more. Nobody would be doing more with less. Period. Yes. No. Yes. And I, I, I think that is unequivocally true. Like there's, there is no way you can debate that. Um, to do that, like you say, the Lakers currently five games under 500 going into Wednesday's game uh, against Miami to jump up and, you know, catch these teams that are four or five games in front of them would require a significant amount of winning. So I, I do think, you know, no disrespect to some of the other candidates and Luca and Nikola Jokic and Jason Tatum, who all might still deserve it more. It is not certainly insulting to them if Le- if LeBron were able to drag this group into that uh, territory in the standings. I don't think it's disrespectful at all to the Jokic's and the and the the Lucas in the world to at least include LeBron in that conversation. Well, I mean, at at that point, I don't know if you can define value in the most literal definitional sense than what LeBron would be bringing to the table during that type of surge. Like right. if, if that's if that's not valuable at the highest level of value, like frankly I don't know what is. Well, it's it, basketball has always been bound. I think more than maybe maybe this happens more in the NHL and I'm not paying attention, but like more than any other sport that I've ever followed, the MVP the, the default position is best player on the best team. Mm-hmm. Like it, that, that is where we start. Like, and, and sometimes work backwards from there. And if you're not the best player on the best team, you'd better have an overwhelming argument to make um, as to why you should be. Or maybe you're just chasing teams that don't have that guy, or maybe people are just tired of voting for them. But I agree with you. Like, you can't, it's one thing, like, because you're not talking about empty stats at that point. You're talking about meaningful numbers that don't just look good in a box score, but actually translate into actual victories for a very otherwise you know weak roster. So well, I mean, it's it's part of what made Kobe scoring eighty one, or when he outscored the Mavericks through three quarters. It's not just that you know the achievements in and of themselves are insane. The Lakers needed him to do that in order to keep that team you know, at seven seed level, like to get into the playoffs. Like, you know, that was the 2006 season. We we covered that team. We were around it all the time. What Kobe was doing was otherworldly, but it was necessary. Yeah, I, I, I understand the best player on the best team argument. I understand, particularly in basketball, somebody is going on a terrible team. Somebody is going to score 18 points a game, 21 points, because somebody has to. Like, it's just almost impossible for there not to be at least one guy who does that. Somebody's going to get rebounds. Somebody's going to, like, but... It's Mike James that one year in Toronto. For example. <laughs> but you have, like, you know, at some point, you just have to acknowledge, like, well, what is LeBron doing to elevate that? All of this stuff, <laughs> yes. all of the things, all of the things that you see on this, that's what he's doing. 
Um, it was, you know, it reminds me, we used to cover the Dodgers the year that Matt Kemp didn't win um, because the Dodgers finished lower than the Brewers. And so right, they gave it to Ryan Braun. It's like, well, he, he didn't help. The, what do you mean? It's not like he passed up opportunities to take at-bats because he didn't feel like it. He can only hit four times a game. What did he do? All of that stuff. That's what he did. Um, all right, you've got a list of uh, potential trade targets that the Lakers might be able to get without giving up all of their stuff. Uh, is it anyone that could make a difference? That's next. All right, um, so Andy, it's, it's getting relatively clear that the Lakers don't seem uh, highly motivated at the very least, to make a big deal before the deadline. It's hard to even know what would be out there at this point with Indiana playing well, um, way too far out of the uh, Wembenyana sweepstakes to give themselves good lottery odds. Um, there aren't a lot of disgruntled stars yet. Nothing has really popped up um, in terms no, there's of... There's been a lot so, of talk about in Indiana and Miles Turner coming to an extension. So there you go. Um, with that in mind, I think people are hoping maybe the Lakers uh, could do something smaller. Uh, Kelly Oubre on the horrible, horrible Charlotte Hornets. Oh my God, that team is terrible. Um, he was a name uh, that was attached to the Lakers as a potential would cost you a little less type trade target. He is out for four to six weeks with an injury. Um, that got you digging around to see if there are any other alternatives. Andy, are there any other alternatives? I mean, not a lot. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this in terms of something involving Patrick Beverly, who's the only mid-sized salary they have, much less mid-sized and expiring, and Kendrick Nunn perhaps to you know allow you to throw in a little more, get a little bit more of an impact player, and maybe one or two seconds, something like that. Um, the list is small, man, because first of all, there are most of the players that fall into that category of this, this, by the way, is a move that I'm categorizing as the Lakers not committing anything beyond this coming season, like looking right. for an expiring return for their expirings and like one or two second round of picks to make right. it the, the picks are the sweetener there. Right, to make it worth the other team's while where, you know, they retain their first, they let Russ come off the books. Like, it's basically a Band-Aid to try to make things easier for LeBron until AD gets back, but you're not really committing to anything for this season. And players who fall into, you know, that particular category of salary th this big but not too big – not too small, all expiring on a team that would actually look to move him. It is a short list, man. Um, yeah, it's it's like when you're internet shopping and you start to hit the filters, like you know, uh, mm -hmm. sweaters, uh, size medium, color yellow, mm -hmm. um, all these other things. You know, uh, you do sort of narrow your choices here a little bit. Like Bogdan Bogdanovich, if the Hawks concede the season and you know they're dealing with all sorts of drama and there's rumors that you know Nate McMillan might not survive the season might not even want to stay you know the Trey Young DeJounte Murray pairing has not worked out well at all no. but you know they're still close enough to try to push for a real playoff spot or you know the upper end of the play-in if nothing else and this is a team that is looking to win now 
Will Barton in Washington, uh, they're playing much better right now, but he's out of the rotation. He's also been really bad. I'm mostly bringing this up to test your Barton love. because you. I think it is absolutely worth trading for Will Barton because if nothing else, his enthusiasm would provide an injection of – uh, winning and spirit to this team at a time where they might need it as you know we get through the dog days of the NBA season and we should all love our jobs as much as Will Barton. He is one of my favorite players in the NBA. So yes, I would sacrifice all the second round picks to get him. He has not been good this He's year. He's been awful. Um, <laughs> Absolutely awful. Terrence Ross has been forever linked to the Lakers like another guard. They need any more, but that you'd be at least moving two out. Like he would require you making it Beverly and none gives you some scoring, but he's been unimpressive the last couple of years. I'll be honest with you. The way that the way that Beverly's shooting, I'd rather have him just I'd rather have him than Terrence Ross. Well that's the Terrence that Ross gets is a terrible other, defender. Well that's the other place I was going. Like he doesn't make them any he's six six, but he doesn't make them any more switchable, more versatile because he's such a bad defender. It feels like a pointless pickup to me. Here are two that maybe could be interesting. Josh Richardson in San Antonio gives them better defense along the wing, some decent outside shooting. It would be Beverly, you know, who's a better shooter, but Richardson's bigger. Um, would you be willing to trade Beverly and one, maybe two seconds to get Josh Richardson? I mean, sure. Um, I mean, they- so much of this is like what I mean, they need one more guy who's sort of in that six, 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 seven, like legitimate wing, not Patrick Beverly kind of pretending to do that um, kind of space. Um, and he is a he's certainly a credible three point shooter. You know, he's shooting 35 percent this year, 36 percent for his yeah. career. So he's not like a a defined floor stretcher, but he's competent in that regard. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine. And, you know, he's a he's a decent defender, um, certainly very athletic. He's not going to be anybody who gets in the way of them getting up and down the floor, that's for sure. Um, it would be nice to have one more person who fits that profile um, so you're not reliant on Troy Brown completely sort of keeping this hot streak that he's on right now up for the rest of the, if if Troy Brown can do what he's doing and JTA can kind of do what he's been doing it does mitigate to some degree the need to add another guy but it's really hard to have confidence and a lot to ask for those guys both stay healthy and to continue performing well all the time it's more than they've done over the course of their career I'd throw I'd do a second round or a couple second rounders for Josh Richardson sure why not and then the other guy is Alec Burks with the Pistons. He'd be the biggest guard on this roster at 6'6". He's solid enough defensively. He can score. He's a very good outside shooter, and he's another guy that's been linked to the Lakers forever. I would think, assuming you can even get him without giving up a first, he's going to require two seconds to, to, yeah. offset other, to offset other bidders, but also Patrick Beverly is the more expensive contract. So it's going to be minimum two seconds. It's funny, Burks is one of those guys who, like, for a long time was, you know, extraordinarily inefficient and, um, you know, a lot of scoring, but not necessarily a lot of other stuff around it. Um, you can get the points, but, you know, when you start, when you look under the hood even a little bit, like the numbers become very unappealing. His last couple of years, though, he's completely changed the narrative mm-hmm. on 
on his career. And you know, he should he's up around 45% from three-point range this I year. I I feel like that would be the kind. I mean, there's you start to have some redundancy with a guy like Lonnie Walker, with some of the like in, in terms of, but I that's okay. I mean, Walker's not playing very well. And so I do think he is the type of person who could make an appreciable difference because he would bring genuine gravity to this team. Um, because of that, I think if he keeps shooting around 45%, um, while the Pistons seem to love Bogdanovich and they keep talking a good game about how they're going to keep him, um, I, I'd be shocked if they kept somebody like Alec Burks. Um, the competition for him in a buyer's mar- in a seller's market, I should say, I actually think he might end up costing like a low-level first or a protected first I- or something like that. And I wouldn't give up that for him unless the Lakers really pulled themselves back into a place um, where, you know, but the big thing would be defensively for all of these guys because the Lakers offense, we did, we're not going to get a chance to talk about Darius's story today, so we'll do it later in the week. Um, the Lakers offense since the beginning of the season, since that two and 10 start has been fine. They've been one of the better offenses in the league. They don't need a guy who can come in and score just straight up score and can't do anything else, which is why Terrence Ross is not a good idea, but Burks, I think is a, it would be a more respected shooter and it's, I think is a better defender. Certainly he's a better, Terrence Ross. Is. He's a much better defender than Terrence Ross. Hey, Burks. I think Burks is fine defensively. He's not, a stopper. He's not outstanding. I don't think he's a liability either. I think he's fine. Um, and if no, and again, if nothing else, he gives you more size than pretty much every guard on the roster. But ultimately, my big takeaway from going through these lists was it's going to be very difficult for the Lakers, I think, to make a move without it being a move that is as much about next season and beyond as it is just patching up this year. And or at the very least, like you say, like accounts for next year. It can be about let's try to make a move this year, but it's going to be part of our moves for next year as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like it might help them this year, but it is a commitment to next season mm-hmm. now, um, which isn't – that's neither a bad or good thing necessarily. You know, the devil's in the details. I'm just saying I think it's going to be extremely difficult. The list of players who would – who would fit in that salary slot and are also expiring are 80 to 90% of them are on teams that are not going to trade them. They just aren't. They're they're all in the playoff mix. Um, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to uh, find the show, participate in the community and see whether or not you're going to be upset or happy following Wednesday night's game against the heat uh, at the crypt. Uh, The Lakers need to, put a strong January together, take advantage of a fairly home-heavy schedule against some good teams, but at least at home before they get out on the road at the end of the month. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, they, they are at the very least going in with a little bit of momentum, and certainly LeBron is playing as well as any human on planet Earth. Um, and so, all right, we'll see everybody after Wednesday night's game.